So we'll be reading uh, Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll and the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. Then they encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him he sits on the throne and to the lamb to be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. We, we, uh, those are here first time, we tried to show that video, well, wrong thing, we tried to show the video last weekend now we had a projector issue. And I think it's really a great way of introducing, um, great way of introducing our, uh, our chapter five because it really highlights what we talked about last week. And so we're going to get to all of that, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited because God's word is always fantastic to open and share with you. And it's great to do it that we're here for after 12 months. Um, and then it's even more exciting because Seriously, this is just such a great chapter in the Bible. Like it's just the, the way it's written, all the imagery and everything. It's just a great, great time to uh, think about God's Word. So I hope and trust you're encouraged by it. Um, and it might be helpful for you uh, to have a look, um, follow on on the outline uh, uh, on page number five, if that's helpful for you, if you like taking notes. Um, and, and grab the Bible if we uh, go to a couple other passages as well, which we will do a bit later. Let me pray, and then we're going to get stuck right into this magnificent uh, chapter. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are here today, that we can sing uh, praises to you, that we can enjoy our fellowship, that we can come to your word wherever we're at. Whether we know we have life with you, whether we're just starting to investigate, whether we're far from you or we're just not really sure. Wherever we are, 
We pray by your spirit today, uh, we may see with clarity Jesus and how all of life is centred around him. Amen. Now, praise is not something that particularly comes natural to me. I don't know about you, whether it does to you, but praise is not something that is kind of built into my DNA. And yet, growing up as a kid, there was always at least one time every year where I would experience praise on a seismic scale. When Dad took me to the Sydney Cricket Ground to watch the Aussies play cricket. When I went there, I still remember the very first game. I wasn't only, I was only a few years older than my younger son, Ethan. And I still remember that first game where Australia's kind of hero, number one batsman, Greg Chappell, came out to bat and everyone was just chanting his name, Chappell, Chappell. It ringing in my ears as a little boy, I could, it just stuck with me, that chanting of praise. Or in recent years, a few years ago now, but when my true cricketing hero, Steve Waugh, where well, I was at the ground where he scored a 100 he brought up his hundred on the very last ball of the day. Best sporting moment ever with all our mates chanting. We got out of the stand. We went underneath a stand, the Bill O'Reilly stand, which is like a concrete stand that you walk underneath. We're all jammed in walking out. Everyone's chanting his name that the stadium was actually rocking. It was bizarre. It was memorable. Everyone in those two moments was united in their praise and joy in what they witnessed. And yet, as many of you will testify to, you will testify to, it's just sport. And these were the exceptions, not the rule when it comes to praise in my life. All they did was play cricket. All they did was hit a ball and that's boring. What did it achieve? It's just sport. What about you? Not about sport, but about praise. Are you someone who naturally likes to praise, to get out there? Or are you someone who is maybe more like me and naturally not predisposed to it? So here's the thing. It doesn't really matter if you're each one of those, which way you tend towards. Life is about figuring out if there is someone who deserves your praise. And that's what we're in the middle of. That's what this whole series in Revelation chapter 1 and 5 has been about. And as we entered the throne room of God last week in chapter 4, we saw that God is holy. Why I wanted to show you that video so we know what holiness truly is. God's holiness, that he creates all things. He is deserving of our praise, as Revelation 4.11 says. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God, hopefully you might see today, is deserving of your praise. But that was last week. That's not all there is to it. Last week was all rosy. If you go back and read chapter 4, you were here with us last week. As you look at it, it's all positive. It's all everyone praising God. God is praised. He's worthy of praise. He's made all things. That's it. But Revelation chapter 5 points us to a bit of a tension, to a bit of a problem in the throne room. 
And so what I want us to do today is have a look at this spectacular and amazing picture. I want us to see Revelation chapter 5 and consider what John saw and heard and hopefully, by God's grace, we'll all see that Jesus is worthy of praise. Your praise. Whether you've never seen that before or whether you seek to live by that day by day. So come with me and let's have a look at this great chapter. See, the first thing, what did John uh, uh, see? So John, the apostle, is isolated. He's been exiled to an island, a Greek island, Patmos, and he's been given his vision of God. He's seeing the, the heavens. Uh, he's not seeing literally everything that's happened. He's getting a picture of what we can't possibly understand and see here. It's being revealed to him so then he can reveal it to the church. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 4 to see the tension. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth that could open the scroll, or even look inside it. I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. What's going on? There's this scroll, and it's quite a thorough scroll, because it's got writing on both sides. It's a full scroll. That's not normal. You, you, normally scrolls are just written on one side. It's a full scroll. In other words, this scroll has everything about life and the plans of life and, and everything that you need to know about what's going on, on it. And so if you can't open it, you can't know. And so it's devastating. And we notice that it's sealed with seven seals. If you've been around the uh, uh, last couple of weeks, we'll see in Revelation, we understand not by breaking a code, but, but these visions, these apocalyptic visions, are used language to help us understand things. And the number seven is a word that is completely and utterly associated with being whole, full. There's nothing else. It's all And it goes through the whole book in many spectacular ways. We'll see it over and over again next year when we do the whole rest of uh, Revelation. And so when it says there are seven seals, it's saying it's completely shut. There's no chance of opening it. Who can open it? John wept. No one was worthy to open the scroll and look inside it. Humanity certainly can't. We are so... Broke it in, in, in the world. We, we've got no chance of opening up something so great, whole and good. We are not worthy to open it up. There's a problem. Life and its meaning, and it can't be opened. God is wanting a mediator to open it, and there's no one to be found. And then we get to the next picture. Have a look with me. At verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
someone can open it. And he's described as a lion. That's the next thing that John sees in here. A lion, as our series uh, is titled, The Lion and the Lamb. This lion is from the tribe of Judah. And just on the surface of reading that, he triumphs and he's a lion. There's no one greater than a lion in the jungle. That powerful beast who roams around. No one can beat the lion. He is the one who triumphs. We see that clearly. But just like in that video, which helped us understand holiness, not by telling us what it is, by helping us see how the Bible is one story woven together and we see holiness and how it works all the way through the Bible. That's what all the Bible does, pointing us here. And the line from the tribe of Judah is making bigger points. We see that someone powerful from God's people, the line of Judah is going to come. And if we flick to Genesis chapter 49, if you've got your Bible in front of you, uh, you can open up to Genesis 49, the first um, book in the Bible. Um, if not, uh, just, just have a listen. Because in Genesis chapter 49, as the, the tribes of Israel are being uh, uh, all the sons of the tribes of Israel, Jacob's kids, He's giving them some kind of prophetic vision, telling them who they're going to be and what their families and descendants in their tribe are going to be like. And he gets to Judah and he says in verse 8, Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the, the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Judah is going to rule. They're the lion tribe. God's rule is coming from this tribe, the lion from the tribe of Judah. It's really significant. And if we trace this all the way through, we find out that actually this line that's coming from this tribe, we see it through King David. David comes along, the the greatest king in, in Israel's history. And what do we find? Well, we find he's described as all conquering. He's the one who is, his family is going to rule forever in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We won't go into it now for time, but if you go to that key chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll see how David from the line of Judah is, well, he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom isn't. He's going to totally muck it all up with horrendous acts. But from his line, his great start, someone is going to be greater. And the beautiful thing about the Bible, and hopefully... Um, if you're new to the Bible, maybe some light switches can help you today uh, uh, flick on as to, oh, this is how the Bible works. It helps us see the bigger picture by understanding the thread through all of it. And for all of us, growing in that because it's so important. That's what Revelation uh, 5 is doing because not only do we see he's the lion from the tribe of Judah, he's the root of David. That is, there is someone coming from David. He's going to be the lion and he's the root of David and that's language that's not uncommon uh, either. In Isaiah uh, chapter, chapter 11, we find out that there's a root from Jesse. 
a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now you think, well, what's that got to do? This is David. What's that got to do with anything? Who's Jesse? David's father. David's father has a shoot come up, the root of David. And he's the lion. Well, is he? Or is it someone else? It's a spectacular picture. I mean, Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. It's a great picture that will continue on and on and on until the true lion is found. The lion of the tribe of Judah. All the expectation of the Bible, no one can sort it out, but there's a lion who can. And so John's got this lion picture that comes from Judah. And he goes, oh, right, this is the, yeah, the Judah, the lion, it's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. What am I going to see? What, how is he going to triumph? And then we get the next image. Have a look at verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Hang on a minute. He is looking for a lion who's going to triumph. He looks and he sees a lamb. It's not even an adult. It's a baby lamb. And it's died. It looks as if it's died. It's alive, but it's died. It doesn't make any sense. How does this work? This isn't how you triumph and rule. This isn't how the world rules with power. And he sees a lamb. The third thing that he sees in here. And this lamb, it even gets more spectacular. He's standing at the centre of the throne in verse 6. Encircled by the living creatures that we saw. This isn't something different from chapter 4 because there the living creatures are and the elders. This lamb, well it's a bit wacky then, he goes on to say he had seven horns and seven eyes. Which is to say it's an imagery of power. Uh, in the, in, in uh, the ancient time. That seven horns and seven eyes complete power. He took the scroll in verse 7 from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and he, everyone else fell down before him. You see that in verse 8. Here you have this kind of crazy contrast that makes no sense. That's why I love our image that one we got from somewhere else of the series. You've got a lamb and a lion together. And you think, how does that work? That's the one. That's the beauty of this apocalyptic vision imagery that it's hard to portray any other way. It's spectacular. But this is the one. Now, we know, we know that it's not a lamb that actually saves us. We know but it's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He's the lion and he's the lamb. As we'll see in a bit. He is fully lion in triumph, but he does it as a lamb. It's a spectacular picture. And this picture of a lamb is also a thread throughout all the Bible. I wonder whether if you've uh, spent any time in the Bible, you can think of times when the lamb's mentioned. There's Isaiah chapter 53 where a lamb goes to his slaughter because all the sheep have gone astray. There's John himself who wrote this revelation in the beginning. And when we we read about uh, John the Baptist, him saying, behold, 
the Lamb of God when Jesus rocks up. Jesus turns up and he says, there is a Lamb. There is the sacrifice who will be slain. If you didn't know all that context about it's through a sacrifice that God makes us right and that it's the Lamb, then John the Baptist just said something kind of weird. Jesus turns up and he calls him a lamb. That's not right. But when you understand that it's the lamb who's looking as if he's been slain, it's spectacular. Here we have this amazing picture of a lion who triumphs, the only one who can open the scroll, and a lamb who is the way that the lion does it, by giving up his life, by being sacrificed, his blood. We can even trace the lamb all the way back to Exodus where there was the Passover lamb. So when Israel's uh, firstborns were not to be killed, it was because they took a perfect lamb and painted the blood on the doors. And then the angel of death passed over them. That is all pointing towards Jesus being the lamb that was slain. As Paul says, he's Christ, our Passover lamb. So we've got the scroll that couldn't be opened, this crazy tension that really upset John because it needs to be opened. And then we've got the lion representing all triumph and power. Jesus' power traced through his family line, the the lion of Judah, all the way through. And then we see how he does it. He does it as a lamb. What's the response? Well, we see in verse 11... Universal praise. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000. That's like us saying trillions upon trillions. We come up with more and more numbers. That's as big as they can go. Just myriads of them. They encircled the throne, as we keep seeing in chapter 4 and 5, this circling around the throne to worship. And in a loud voice they sang, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the earth in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And then the imagery goes back to how Revelation uh, chapter 4 goes, the living creatures said, Amen, elders fall down and worship. This keeps happening, this picture of continual worship. Notice it's the, the myriad of angels and then significantly, verse 13, every creature. That's the response to the lion who is a lamb. Praise. God is holy as we see in chapter 4. He's worthy of all praise because he has created and then we see what he's done for creation who desperately needed him. He's the lion who is the lamb. What a spectacular picture. That's why I love it. I just get overly excited. Sorry if I ramble because I just get too excited about this kind of imagery. And we need to consider... Why was he shown the vision? Why was John shown this? Well, it's because what's happening is the curtain is being pulled back on all reality. 
what's truly going on that we can't see, the spiritual reality that is real, is being revealed, the reality of all things. The scroll can be open. The reality for John isn't, oh, I'm stuck in exile in Patmos and that's it. That's my lot. No, John, your spiritual reality is real into all eternity because the lion and the lamb. Is there anything else? Is this all I've got to live by? What I'm happening, what's happening for me now? I better get as much as I can. I better get the house that I need. I better get the family that I, that I want. I better get fill in the blank. Is that it? Or is there something more? John's been showing, been shown the something more, the reality of eternity. And here is the main point, if you haven't picked it up yet. The centre of all reality is the lion and the lamb. The centre of all reality. That's why on our birthday, where we want to spend the day praising, giving thanks to God and not making it about us, I thought there's no better place to, to land than Revelation 5. To remind ourselves we're not great, that we're all here and we really enjoy church and we love our fellowship and our friendships that we've started over 12 months. That's not what makes us great. It's that the lion and the lamb is the centre of all reality and he gives us life. And so why was John shown this vision? It's because there's a new song. There's a new song. It's not that the old song of holy, holy, holy is not just as relevant as and important, but that's not the centre of reality that God created. The centre of reality, as we see, uh, it said there in verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's the new song focuses in on Jesus being the center of all reality. It's why we say we are a Jesus-shaped community. Because if we're not, we're not focusing on the center of all reality. The focus is on not creation, but God's redemption of creation, of us in Jesus the Lamb. What makes him worthy to be the center of all reality is definitely not the way the world makes itself worthy. And this is an important thing to trace out. As you start to understand what it means to live for Jesus, the contrast between the world's view of worthiness and praise and God's view are in enmity. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, I, 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 I don't mind listening to... Um, uh, the old podcast, and there's three guys. You may know uh, Santo Chilaro uh, and um, um, oh, I've forgotten his name. He's on um, uh, Asian guys does Eurovision and other stuff as well. Oh, Sam Sam Pang, yeah, Sam Pang and Ed Cavalier. These three guys are soccer freaks, right? They just obsessed about soccer. They make me look like I don't like sport. They're so obsessed about soccer. And they used to have a TV show. Now they've got this podcast, which is basically them just making loose comments about soccer to make jokes. And so I, generally I find it pretty funny and listen to it. And Sam Pang says, says, 
talking about soccer players, and most soccer players have uh, got the biggest egos in the world because they have so much money, it's just ludicrous. And he was talking about one of them and just saying how he talks about, if I play for this team, they win. Then I play to that team and they win. And he listed and he, he lists all his great victories. Latan is his name. And he just lists them off and he's this big ego. And he, and he said, I grew up. It's not about the sport. It's about what his attitude to people is that threw me. He said, I always grew up thinking, that's stupid. Why does, why do people always, whether they're celebrities or sports people, need to say how great they are? He said, but now I'm older. I don't want my heroes to be humble. I want them to say how great they are. I want them to say, I'm worthy of your praise because I'm spectacular. I've taken the power. I'm the one who wins. I'm the one who rules. That's what he said. He said, I don't need them to be humble. What's that do for them? It doesn't do anything for me. It was kind of, the way he said it, it was kind of uh, funny and interesting. He's just saying, oh, let, let sports heroes be megalomaniacs in their, in their uh, notoriety. But you know what? That's the world's way. Take power. Say it's yours. You've earned it. You're the one who triumphs. That's the way the world works. You know what? That's why democracy, one of the things that uh, democracy kind of uh, is good for is because we know when people get absolute power, they kind of get a bit carried away. George Bush said it the other day. I actually had a massively bad relationship with the media, he said. Um, but you know what? If they weren't there, I know myself, I would, have, I would have been worse because we can't help ourselves when we have power. And so democracy, we tie them all up in knots as much as we can so they can't uh, do too much damage. And then if they do too much damage, we kick them out anyway. The world's way is to take power. The lion, he doesn't, he takes it kind of differently, doesn't he? See, that's why it's really interesting to see Jesus at the centre of all reality. Because John lived in a world where Rome was like that. They took power. They, the, the Caesars made themselves out to be godlike. And here we see a lion not making himself to be the king of the jungle, but making himself to be a little lamb in a petting zoo. And this is the centre of reality. No one is more powerful than a lion, but he's the lamb. What am I saying? What's the difference? God's power in which he makes all triumph, where he rules everything, is through sacrifice and selflessness and the greatest act of humility ever. The opposite to our continually grabbing and stealing power with mighty armies and praising ourselves for how great we've been. Let me show you this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking about Jesus and how great he is. And he, and he describes how Jesus is one who is deserving of praise. Let me read it to you and then when we hit the therefore, notice the difference. He says, I'll go from verse 6 in chapter 2. Jesus, whom being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 9, therefore, by becoming obedient to death on a cross, Jesus went to the most cursed, horrible place for you and I, purchased for God, as Revelation says, that act, therefore, because of his obedience on a cross, the most giving, humble, self-sacrifice that could possibly ever be, because of that, verse 9, therefore, God gives him, his Father gives him all glory, honour and praise and that's why he is to be praised. It's upside down world again. Where God, his glory comes from sacrifice. Sometimes we see it in moments when we think about war and the sacrifices people made. I accidentally watched Bondi Rescue, which I really hate that show, but I watched it the other day for some reason, and there was this one guy who nearly died saving someone else, and it was kind of a little hint of it, but only a snippet. It's usually take, take, take power. So as we finish, this beautiful picture of the lion and the lamb, where all reality is around the lamb, all reality is around opposite triumph through sacrifice, the question to ask is on your outline, how does this vision shape my life, your life today? Let me say three quick things. We all here today need to make a decision about the line and the lamb. You can't sit on the fence when there is someone so powerful who in his loving power has decided to become a lamb and be, sacrifice himself for you because you have rejected him. If you see truly this vision of the lion and the lamb and what God has done to rescue you, the decision is, I trust him to give me life and I'm looking forward to being around the throne into all eternity. There's probably some of you here today that aren't there yet can I encourage you to consider whether you need to make that decision, whether you think right now, yes, I do. He saves me. He has done everything. I'd love to help you in that. But at the very least, if that you wrestle with it more, don't ignore it. Don't throw it away when this reality is actually what's happening. He purchased you for God, the centre of all reality. The second point for all of us is, if that is right, that the centre of reality is this opposite selflessness, a life of living with the lamb means that is your new attitude. You need a whole change. You need the Holy Spirit to convict you of self-sacrifice and to live for Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 starts with, your attitude should be that of Jesus. The attitude of Jesus is humility. Are you willing to live a life of serving Jesus? The third thing, the last thing, in everything be shaped by this eternal reality. Brothers and sisters, we face great 
pain in this life. You will if you haven't. It's heartbreaking and it's gut-wrenching. We can't get through it by just saying, God's not going to do that to me or it's not God's fault. Instead, we don't go down those paths of, we'll be all right with God if he's all right with me and moving back and forth. Instead, we see the eternal reality and we go, I don't understand this horrendous pain, but I've seen behind the curtain into all reality. Whatever it is, I don't understand, but the lamb is on the throne, is always the Christian's response. I don't understand, but there is eternity where I am worshipping him forever. I don't understand, but pain, suffering, anguish will all disappear forever. So I still praise the lamb. As we turn one, a life of praise to the lion and lamb must be who we are. No matter what our predisposition to praising is, when we truly understand who our great God is and what he has done for us in Jesus, overflowing praise can be but our only response. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how spectacular it is to see such a great chapter. You reveal to us the real reality of what's going on. That you, Your Son has purchased us for you through his mighty power as a lion who achieves it through being a self-sacrificial lamb. Don't let us give up, Lord. Help us. Not to, live a, not to live a moment of praise now on this wonderful morning as we celebrate our, our church community. Give us a life of praise as we long for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.